episode 53 of the Elevate Your Running podcast. Welcome back and thank you for joining us for another week. We have a special guest on today who will be joining myself. I am Austin Myers and my co-host is Sarah Manderscheid. Today we welcome back for his second episode on the Elevate Your Running podcast, Jason Fitzgerald. Jason is the founder of the Strength Running website, video channel, and podcast. We're really excited to bring him back on the show because he provided us with so much value the first time that he joined. But before we welcome Jason in, Sarah, how are you this week? Hey, Austin. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing really well. Really excited for this episode. Sarah, let's kick it off as we do every single episode with our elevated moments. What is yours this week? Yeah, I'm excited too. It's going to be a great episode. Uh, Elevated moment this week is first week of Boston Marathon training is here and it's really exciting. And, um, you know, I'm also feeling a little bit nervous about it. I definitely am up leveling um, this training cycle in a lot of different ways. So I'm going to be tested in in terms of mileage and uh, paces and a lot of hill repeats. So I have a hill repeat later this week and it's really exciting though. And just getting the opportunity to go back to Boston and kind of redeem myself from the fall of 21. Um, And I get to train with a lot of athletes and a lot of friends this spring too in Colorado. So that's going to feel really good. And you know, it just ultimately fills my cup. So I'm excited. There's 12 weeks to go and um, a lot of work still left to be done. Yeah, that's really exciting. I, I think that the energy that you have for this Boston prep is um, really something that you can harness. And it's like, do something that scares you a little bit this year. And I feel like you are equal parts excited and maybe a little bit of a nervous energy heading into this prep. But when you can capitalize on that, and you can perform throughout the training cycle. I always think Boston's like a funny race. It always, you know, having never run Boston or or been signed up for a Boston marathon, it always sneaks up on me a bit. So I'm like, wow, it's already Boston marathon time. But I know for the athletes who are training for it every year, uh, it's a big buildup to that race. It's a big buildup. And, you know, I love fast and flat courses, you know, i.e. Chicago and Houston. So this is really taking me kind of outside of my comfort zone and, you know, trying and really leaning into running on effort on the hills and really seeing what I can create on April 17th. Um, It's going to be here before we know it, just like any race. It feels like it comes so quickly. So I'm really excited about it. Austin, what is your elevated moment? Yeah, we're on we're on completely different ends of the spectrum. My elevated moment is actually uh, to be in taper now. And I, I don't know if I can really say that taper is an elevated moment. I would probably just say that being one step closer to race day for uh, my first 100 miler, um, that's the elevated moment of it all and kind of shifting the focus to the logistics of planning for this race, uh, really looking forward to it, but, you know, trying to shift from the training that I've been doing to now recovery and just allowing my body to be ready for this race. It's not exciting as I'm sure anyone who has gone through an effective taper knows, but 
hopefully it will do the job and on race day I can show up feeling pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited for you. And I think, you know, taper such a good opportunity to lean into rest and recovery. And there's always two types of athletes, right? The athletes who like really lean into it and really love it. And the athletes who are just like crawling out of their skin, like ready to race and they just want to run. Um, so it's kind of fun to see where you land in that space too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty comical actually. Like we, we talk about taper on this podcast from time to time. And one of the main rules of taper, Sarah, I know you know this as a coach is you don't try anything new. Like you don't do anything new on taper. And here I find myself two days ago, like wanting to join a friend for a CrossFit workout. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Like it's a bad idea. So uh, definitely trying to hold myself back a little bit, but we'll get through it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you didn't do that. Just wait till after the race and then you can like lean into all the fun things. Um, awesome. Well, uh, Jason, welcome to the show. We're excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be back for round two, guys. Round two. Um, you know, last time when we recorded, it was episode 30 and I had tested positive for COVID that day. So <laughs> I hope to be, um, more, um, you know, a bigger part of the conversation this time around, but would you like to share your elevated moment of the week? Yeah, sure. I, I feel like I'm in a similar position as you, Sarah, in that I just committed to racing uh, just a 5K time trial with some friends up in Boulder uh, a couple of weeks from now. So I have five weeks to get myself ready for this 5,000 meter adventure. And uh, I haven't actually run a race in a very long time. And, and I'm looking forward, even though it's not a fully sanctioned race. It's just fun when you say, okay, I'll do that. And then all of a sudden you're on the hook. You know that, okay, I've committed. I'm now staring down the barrel of this training plan. And it's just such a fun place to be. So I've already like worked out my training and, and key sessions. And it's just that, that really fun time of being at the beginning and just thinking about all of the, the opportunity ahead of you. So that's where I'm at right now. The stoke is at a really high level and uh, I'm hoping I can do something over 5k. I'm not sure. It's been quite a long time. And frankly, the 5k was always an event that, that scared the crap out of me a little bit because it was just short enough to be quite fast, but long enough to have a hefty dose of suffering. So it's going to be great. Yeah, absolutely. I love your attitude around that. And is this to qualify for a certain wave in the Boulder Boulder race, or are you just jumping in um, to the sanctioned, non-sanctioned race here in a few in a few weeks, in five weeks? Yeah, well, it has been set up as a qualifier for Boulder Boulder. I'm not mm -hmm. sure if I can actually do Boulder Boulder, but uh, I'm going to look into it. If I can, if I can qualify, and I can register, and it's a weekend where I can do it. I probably have to, don't I? I have to take advantage yeah. of that opportunity. You get to. Yes, yeah. I get to. And yeah, Boulder Boulder is just one of those amazing races where it's one of the more famous sub marathon races in the country, I think. Mm -hmm. And to have it in my backyard and to have lived here for nine years without doing Boulder Boulder, I think is a little bit of a tragedy. So I got to do it if if I qualify. Yeah, absolutely. There we go. I love it. Okay. So I also need to know, are you coaching yourself through this five-week training block? 
yeah, I'm going to coach myself yeah. for this. I'm I'm way too out of shape to even remotely justify the hiring of a coach at this point because I would be doing things that, you know, I know I should be doing anyway. Like I don't need the accountability. Uh, I would need yeah. a fresh set of eyes if if I made like the five-year commitment to make a comeback and get back to 80, 90 miles a week and all that fun stuff and really see what I could do. At that point, I would put my running in the hands of a good coach. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, good luck to you. It's going to be fun um, to see you progress through the cycle and see what you can create here in five weeks. Yeah, I hope so. I hope I can do something over 5,000 meters. It's been a long time. <laughs> you'll you'll do great. I'm really excited for you. Well, we're also really excited to talk to you today. We're going to be talking about injury prevention and, you know, whether you're an athlete who is healthy or injured right now, well, guess what? It's probably not going to stay that way forever, right? So Austin and I really wanted to lean into this subject today because we feel like it's very, very important, whether you're healthy or whether you're injured, just to come at this um, and, and talk about this in a proactive way. So, you know, we've all been there too. Sometimes we do too much too soon. We might get sidelined with a running injury. We might have a niggle here or there. How do we know what is a niggle? How do we know what is an injury? And how do we come back stronger than really ever before. So that's what we're going to be talking about Jason today. We're really excited for this conversation if you haven't gathered that already. So Jason, first question, what are the most common running injuries that you see? I think the most common injuries are, are probably the classic repetitive stress injuries that you hear about among runners. You know, you have a lot of common knee injuries like runner's knee, also known as patellofemoral pain syndrome. You've got IT band syndrome, which is technically not a knee injury, but the pain usually presents right on the side of the kneecap. And then there's injuries like Achilles tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis, shin splints. And then there's things like, you know, uh, muscle strains that can happen, especially if you're more of a mid-distance runner and you're doing a lot of very fast workouts or power-based, you know, types of training sessions where, a strain is a little bit more likely. So those are typically the more common running injuries that I see. And, you know, they're all kind of the same in that they're all repetitive stress injuries. You know, we're not talking about the injury that a football player gets when someone tackles them the wrong way. You know, those are more acute injuries that result from a very specific trauma. So if you're out running and you trip on the sidewalk and you fall into a gutter and smash your elbow, that's kind of a running injury, but, but it's not really a running injury. So Jason, we're talking about these, these injuries that are built from just the repetition of running and how much we may be running, which is definitely relative for the athlete. I think a common discussion that's had around running and maybe other areas of fitness as well is that running is the issue. People would say that when you run, you are setting yourself up for injury, for the injuries that you were discussing. Would you push back against that and say that running is not the problem? Rather, it's the way that we're approaching the running or the way that we are being reactive as opposed to being proactive in our approach to staying healthy as a runner. Yes, I agree with you 100% on that. I think running can actually be 
fairly protective of some injuries. You know, a lot of folks will say, you know, I, I don't want to run because I don't want to get knee arthritis or something like that. Well, running is actually protective of knee arthritis. So, you know, we, we have to look at running as, as really any other sport. As soon as you start focusing on performance, so instead of saying, I'm going to run for 20 to 30 minutes, a couple days a week for general health, this is like if someone, you know, goes for a, a power walk a couple times a week, or, you know, they, they play pickleball with their friends twice a week. That, that's what I would consider general exercise, great for living a healthy, active lifestyle. But as soon as you want to improve, as soon as you want to run your first marathon, as soon as you know, you want to qualify for Boston or run your, uh, an ultra marathon or break 20 in the 5k, no matter what the goal is. Now you're a performance oriented runner. And the only way to get better is progressive overload. It's to do a little bit more at a little bit higher intensity over time. And anytime you're experiencing progressive overload, whether you're a weightlifter, a distance runner, or even a swimmer or a cyclist, and, and you're focusing on those sports, there's always the potential to get hurt because by definition, you have to do more than you've ever done before. And you have to go harder than you've ever done before. So, you know, the number one way to stay healthy is just to make sure that your training is designed properly to make sure that those increases in volume and intensity are done intelligently, gradually, and in a strategic way. So it's not necessarily that running is damaging or, you know, a, a significant risk in some way. It's just that it's kind of a sport where everyone thinks they can do it. And everyone thinks that they can kind of coach themselves because look, at the end of the day, it's a fairly simple activity. You know, we're not talking about uh, a complicated golf swing or, you know, something like um, a complicated stroke in the water. If you're a swimmer where you probably want to sit down with someone and actually discuss technique before you even attempt to do it. Very few people do that with running. So it's, it's almost inherent in the sport that a lot of people are going to start running. I saw this a lot during the pandemic where gyms were closed. So everyone started running. And unfortunately, a lot of, of these new runners started getting injured because running is challenging. It is difficult. There's no way around the fact that there's a lot of impact force and it's easy to do too much too soon uh, before you're ready for it. So it's not that running is damaging, it's that it's easy to go overboard. It is an impact sport, just like football, except it's not you and another person, it's you and the ground. And it is kind of a sport where a lot of people think they don't need that initial guidance right when they start. So if we can get runners to avoid some of those early mistakes in their running journey, I think we can dramatically reduce the injury risk that they're going to experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Now here in a moment, I'll ask you to kind of expand on maybe some of those practices that new runners or just a runner who is training without a coach right now can integrate into their own training. I found myself in that position over the last few months. I decided to sign up for an ultra marathon, which will be here in the next two weeks. And I just kind of wanted to go through a period of self-discovery. I wanted to train myself for this race. I wanted to force myself to be in tune with how my body was reacting and how I was going to progress. And one thing that I learned about that is running, at least from my experience, was not the problem if I was 
scheduling my programming correctly. So kind of going back to what you were saying with progressive overload, not throwing too much at ourselves too soon, gradually increasing mileage at a rate that's going to allow your body to adapt, which maybe is something you can expand on here in a moment of what that rate is. And just having other factors outside of running in place. That's one of the things I noticed more than anything else is that if I was stressed outside of the time that I trained each day, if I wasn't getting enough sleep, if I wasn't fueling properly, that's when my performance and the way that I felt when trying to perform, that's when those things suffered. So I would love if you could just kind of provide some tangible pieces of guidance for anyone who's running right now without a coach, without a specific resource beyond things like podcasts and anything they can find on the internet, like your website, what are some things that you would tell that runner of all experience levels? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head with, you know, a lot of those other aspects of your life that are really important to you staying healthy as a runner. Um, so what I would say to the runner who's self-coached, who maybe doesn't have that, you know, running expert by their side, guiding them through this process is number one, I think the num the, the biggest reason runners are getting injured because of training mistakes is intensity. So it's adding way too much intensity too soon, or it's just doing very consistent intensity over a very long period of time instead of having phases of training where sometimes you're going to have a high intensity block. Sometimes you're going to have a low intensity block. You know, this is essentially periodization and making sure that, you know, you're not running of two VO2 max workouts every week for a six month period. Like that's unsustainable. You're probably going to get hurt doing something like that. And then once we've controlled intensity and, and have been pretty conservative with that, you know, I don't think most runners are going to improve by doing more or faster hard workouts. It's in a lot of the other more fundamental aspects of training that you're going to see the improvement. And the biggest one is likely your overall weekly mileage or your volume. And another big reason why runners get hurt is by increasing their volume too quickly. And I'm sure you've heard of the 10% rule, which says don't increase your mileage by more than 10% every week. I think that's a very fine rule, although it's incomplete. It really starts to break down at high mileage levels and very low mileage levels. So if you're someone who's running 10 miles a week, you can add more than 10% per week. I mean, we're literally talking about one extra mile over the course of a week of training. But if you're running 100 miles a week, adding 10 miles to your training volume is probably too much. And you certainly can't do that every single week. So it really works well for that sort of 25 to 50-ish mile range where the mileage levels are a little bit more reasonable and the 10% rule does work a little bit better. I like to have a little bit of a more nuanced take where it really depends on what kind of mileage level that you're comfortable with. So Sarah, let's use you as an example. What kind of weekly mileage range are you pretty comfortable with week to week? 50 to 60 is like great for me. Yeah. And that's not too much of a stretch at 60 miles. I'm running 60 miles this week and I feel great so far, but I'm not at the end of 60 miles. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel I'm, I've always felt 
pretty good at higher mileage for sure. Does 40 miles a week feel like a vacation to you? It does. Okay. So Sarah's a great example where let's say you, you run Boston later this spring, right? You have a good race, you take seven days off. And then how do you build your mileage from there? Well, you can probably build your mileage much more quickly than 10% a week. If you're feeling good up to about 50 miles a week, right? These mileage levels are not challenging for you. You feel comfortable at 30, 40 miles a week. There's no reason for you to build that slowly because you're an athlete who's more capable than someone who feels like they're stretching at say 20 or 30 miles a week. Now, once you hit 50 miles a week, I think you should start slowing down the rate of volume building. So 50 to 60 is your sweet spot. So you get to 50, then from there, maybe you do revert back to 10%. So then you get to 55. Maybe the next week you get to 60, which would be a slightly less than 10% increase. Now, the real nuance here is what happens when you are reaching for mileage? What happens when you're running more mileage than you're actually comfortable doing? You might you might run 70 miles a week or 75 miles a week as your peak training weeks before Boston. But to get there, I think your weekly mileage increases need to be much more conservative than 10% per week. So maybe instead of percentages, you all of a sudden just don't even think about that at all and just look at your weekly pattern of mileage and say, I'm going to add three miles to this week. You know, at 60 miles, now we're talking about 5%. And then maybe you add another three miles the next week. But then maybe you take a down week where you only run 50 miles. Then the next week, Maybe you run high 60s, and then the next week you're finally at 70. This is a dramatically slower level of increase than what you were doing before you got up to 50, but it's much more appropriate for your ability level. And that's where I think runners need to sit down with their training log or their training journal and just you know get clear on what mileage levels am I comfortable with. And so you can then be more aggressive building mileage to that level and then more conservative building mileage beyond that level. So it's all about your baseline mileage, you know, this mileage level that you're comfortable with and, you know, being more aggressive beforehand and less aggressive afterward. So that's a simple framework I use to to explain to runners how to think about building mileage in a way that, you know, is a little bit more focused on performance because you don't have to spend a long time running 20 to 30 miles a week, Sarah but is also focused on injury prevention because as soon as running starts to get a little bit challenging for you up at that 60 mile a week range, now all of a sudden we're being much more conservative. So this layered approach, I think is much more effective at building volume. And then, you know, you can sort of go by feel with intensity, you know, a little bit increase every, every one to two weeks. Um, And that's another point. You don't have to increase the challenging aspect of your total workload, whether that's volume or intensity every week, you could do it every two weeks. And so by taking that longer term perspective, you're just giving your body that extra time to recover more fully. And then of course, to actually adapt to all that hard work that you're doing. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'll let my coach know. We are, uh, we have 12 weeks to build. It's going to be an exciting, exciting training cycle. Now let's talk running form really quickly. I think a lot of athletes have their own running form and their unique running form, but what is the best or what would you consider to be the best 
um, recommendations on how to build the correct running form to run healthy and run strong and prevent the injuries from happening. Yeah. So runners are all going to run a little bit differently. And, you know, Sarah, we see this at every group run that I I attend, right? Like everyone has their own little (laughs) form quirks and all that. So there is no best or perfect running form, but there are some good fundamentals that we should all sort of focus on. And then aside from those fundamentals, we'll have our own quirks and, and little idiosyncrasies. So the number one thing that I look for is likely your cadence because cadence, which is the number of steps that you're taking per minute cadence, then if you get that right, it takes care of a lot of other problems. So very generally, I like to tell runners, if your easy running pace is slower than 10 minutes a mile, so you go for an easy run, you're 10 minutes or slower per mile. Let's try to be over 160 steps per minute. So if you're 10, 30, 11 minute pace, and you're somewhere in the one sixties, I'll be happy because cadence is partly a function of speed. You know, and we only really count it during easy runs. If you're doing a track workout, you're running a race, you know, anytime you're running faster than easy pace, your cadence is going to be dramatically higher than it normally is. And cadence numbers really are only appropriate for your easy running pace. So with that said, let's be 160 plus if you're slower than 10 minutes a mile, but If you're faster than 10 minutes a mile, you probably should be over 170 steps per minute. Now, a lot of runners have heard that 180 steps per minute, that this is, you know, the magic number. Jack Daniels popularized this because he noticed elite runners jogging around the track at about 180 steps a minute. Now their jogging was probably 645 mile pace. So it's a little bit different. uh, And we don't have to perfectly emulate the elites. Because that, I think, is is a quick way to probably get hurt. You're going to dramatically change your running form in a way that your body doesn't really want to move that way. And that can be a source of injuries as well. So let's get our cadence right. And the things that cadence takes care of that I really like is, number one, it prevents aggressive overstriding. So overstriding is when you reach out in front of you with your leg. It often has an accompanying aggressive heel strike as well. And so we don't really want that. We want to be landing underneath our body, right under our center of mass or our hips. And this is the other thing I look for is where your foot is landing in relation to the rest of your body. So is it landing in front of you or is it landing underneath you? If you can get your cadence up, get your feet landing underneath you. And then finally, number three, let's work on just your overall posture. Let's have a good athletic posture. Let's not be leaning forward from the waist. We want that slight forward lean from the ankles. And, you know, we also don't want to be leaning in any other direction, you know, the the head tilted back or leaning to the side. We don't want to have our arms all out to the side. Although generally I don't really like to focus on arms. It's typically a, a function of what your legs are doing, right? So let's get our legs working right. And the arms can kind of do what they need to do. So those are the major three things that I look for in running form is, you know, let's get your cadence where it needs to be. Let's make sure we're landing underneath your body and let's make sure you have a a general athletic posture with no big red flags. And I found that that pretty much takes care of, of most running problems. You know, there's a a small segment of the running population that's going to have other little issues that maybe need to be corrected through very prescriptive strength training, work with a physical therapist, 
or custom orthotics or something like that. But generally speaking, that's a very small percentage. So let's say, you know, as runners, we typically have niggles that pop up. I think we've all been there, right? Um, How does a runner know the difference between a niggle and something that is a little bit bigger than that, that's turning into an injury? What is the difference? Yeah, it's hard to tell, right? And after 25 years of running, I'm not sure I know the difference. <laughs> it's basically a matter of of scale, right? It's a spectrum. A niggle is when something doesn't feel quite right. Maybe a little bit of discomfort. It just feels a little off. And an injury is something that just prevents you from running because of substantial pain. So it's always better to deal with a niggle than it is to deal with an injury because injuries are usually the result of ignoring a niggle. So if you're very proactive about things that don't quite feel right, then you will probably prevent most niggles from turning into full-blown injuries. And, you know, I like to tell runners, you know, what's the difference here? You know, is there really a difference? Is a niggle just basically a lesser injury? Kind of. A lot of it has to do with pain and how it impacts you. So if you're not sure if you should go running with something that's bothering you, no matter what it is, I like to say, let's look at number one, is the the type of pain? Is it sharp? Is it stabbing? Is it a severe pain that just sort of stops you in your tracks, takes your breath away? If it's something like that, we probably shouldn't run through it. If the pain gradually gets worse as you run, that probably means running is making it worse. So let's not run through anything that's getting worse as we run. And then the last thing is to look to look out for is, is this discomfort causing me to change my form? So if you are actively changing how you run to accommodate a pain, a niggle, a discomfort, then we might be causing additional problems. You know, you might be able to get through the run and, you know, if it was your Achilles, hey, your Achilles didn't hurt as much, but because you were landing funny on the outside of your foot, now the arch of your foot's bothering you. So you're effectively running with this self-imposed limp, and we don't want to do that. We we want to run the way our body wants to run, you know, provided we're following those, those fundamentals we discussed earlier. So, you know, if it's sharper stabbing, if it's changing how you run, or if it's getting worse as you run, don't run through it. Now, if the opposite is true, you probably can run through it. If it's more of a dull, achy sort of pain, you know, it's more of like a a soreness than actual pain, that's probably okay to run through. If not only does it not get worse as you run, maybe the pain just goes away as you run. Like running almost makes it feel a little bit better. Well, okay, that's a green flag. And another green flag is just you can go running. You don't have to accommodate the pain in any way. Um, it's not causing you to change your form. So those, those are the things I look for in terms of answering the question, is it okay if I run? Usually if you can go running on something, I'll classify it as a niggle. If you can't go running on something, I'll classify it as an injury, but ultimately we might just be debating semantics on this. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have noticed is something that you mentioned in there, which is that if I have a little bit of an ache or a pain and I can still run through it, but I notice that it's changing the way that I'm running away from like my natural running form, that's where I can actually have some bigger issues arise. So one of the questions that I had was how can a runner 
who typically is just training by themselves or, you know, is unable to get a really quality look or analysis of their running form and stride, how can they implement some of these best practices for their own running that you were discussing a few moments ago in thinking about where our foot is landing? Like, are these mental strategies that we can take into our run or is it necessary to have someone video our stride? Because I know that it is like a funny thing that goes around the running community that you feel really strong on your run and then someone videos you running and or you see a picture of yourself running and you're like, oh boy, like I didn't know that's what I looked like. So what does this look like for someone who does want to become a more efficient runner and optimize their running form so that they can not only stay healthy, but run faster? Yeah, I, I think we all have like a bunch of race photos that will never show the public because it's just too embarrassing. It's caught us in the drop step or something. We thought we looked like Elliot Kipchoge out there, but we we really just look like the person coming in last. <laughs> um <laughs> You're right. It it certainly is something that requires a little bit of homework. And I do think the best way is is not with photos cuz photos you know just don't really tell the complete story and and you could get a photo of yourself where you look terrible but you're actually just in a certain phase of the stride where that's just the way you're going to look and it, it's just totally unfair to judge your form from one single photo when you know, that's like one fiftieth of one second of, you know, a two second full stride. So it's just not fair. Um, the best way is probably to film yourself running. You can do this on a treadmill, set up your phone next to the treadmill. Um, you know, once you get that footage, most people have a smartphone where they're going to be able to film themselves. You could even run it back in slow motion and, and really look at foot strike and and where you're putting your weight down on your foot during the stride. So film is probably the number one tool that you have. And since everyone is typically walking around with a video camera, it's pretty accessible too. Uh, I would just encourage you to get footage from the front, the side and the back so that you have a more complete picture of your form. And if there are anything, any aspects of your form that you need to work on, you know, you'll actually know because you'll have that good footage. Um, but also it's something that you can work on just like mentally, you know? Um, so if you're struggling with overstriding and you're like, okay, Jason said to put my foot down underneath my body, uh, I got to land underneath my hips. How do I actually do that when I'm out there running? Well, now we can use form cues and cues are just little verbal words or phrases that you can repeat to yourself in your head that reinforce good form. And so if you're struggling with overstriding, I like to just have the runner think in their head, I'm not reaching out. I'm not trying to get more ground. I'm just putting my foot down with every stride. And you can almost envision that you're on a skateboard and you're putting your foot down right underneath you. And you're sort of hitting the ground and having a little bit of that backward momentum where you're pawing at the ground. It's almost, uh, there's a running drill called a paw back. It, which sort of mimics this motion. And it could be really helpful at, at sort of ingraining that into your neuromuscular system. But just the cue of I'm riding a skateboard or I'm putting my foot down as I'm running can really help you avoid overstriding. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think one of the best ways to improve your running form is just to have good training. You know, are you doing strides? Are you lifting heavy weights? Are you running high mileage? You know, 
running fast, lifting weight, and running a lot are the three best ways to improve your form. Your body is going to be forced to run with better form because you're running a lot and you're going to be developing the patterns and strength to have a good form through fast running and weightlifting. So it is something that I like to have runners be aware of to use cues to work on. But I think at the end of the day, the best way to improve your running form is just to train really well, stay healthy, stay consistent over over time. And ultimately your body will find the most effective form for, you know, whatever tools that you have to work with. Yeah, that's, that's really a powerful perspective because I think one thing that continues to come up in this episode is running is habitual, both in that we run on a consistent basis. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably love running and you want to do it as much as you can in a healthy manner but also the repetition of how many steps and how many strides you're taking within a run and then multiply that by weeks and months and hopefully years. And just understanding that if we have, you know, inherently bad running form or something that could end up leading to an injury, that's something that gets ingrained, like you said, into our neuromuscular system. But the opposite is also true. If we can structure our training and have these practices in place so that we are really locked in on becoming a better runner, not based off of speed or paces, but on the way that we are running and becoming a word that I love is just efficiency and running economy and trying to get better within that. You mentioned the exact direction that I wanted to go, which is strength training. Where does strength training, any type of strength training, um, anything more than nothing strength training help out in promoting positive running economy and running form so that we can stay healthy. Yeah. Strength training is, is in my view, like the second best thing you can do to stay healthy right after designing good training, right? Cause you can never strength train your way out of just terrible, poorly designed training. You're probably still going to get hurt. So I like to put strength training into two buckets. You have the physical therapy oriented strength training that you're going to do that you could do at home. It's mostly body weight. If you've ever been to a physical therapist, you're probably going to be familiar with some of these exercises. They're typically maybe slightly isolation in nature, you know, similar to what a bodybuilder might do, except you're just using body weight. You know, you're doing clamshells. You're doing side-lying leg raises. These are exercises that are familiar to many runners. These exercises are not going to develop your proficiency with exerting a lot of power, but they're going to be really helpful at targeting specific muscles that are important to runners for health, longevity in the sport, and even some performance, right? So if you're doing glute bridges, you're developing glute and hip strength great, great skills for runners. Um, these are important muscles for propulsion, probably the most important muscles for propulsion and running faster, but they're also important muscles for staying healthy. Because if you have either weak or some sort of imbalance going on with your hips and glutes, then the problem is right at the top of the chain. And you're probably going to have some other issues further down the chain because of those problems. So 
the more corrective therapeutic body weight oriented exercises are great for staying healthy. Uh, they can help with running form and your overall running economy over time. Um, but they're a little bit more helpful at just general strength, general coordination and athleticism and injury prevention. Now, the other bucket we have for strength training is what you do in a gym, the actual lifting of weight, heavier weights, you know, maybe you're focused on some power movements. These exercises are a little bit more oriented towards performance as opposed to the body weight strength training. Um, but they also have a very strong injury prevention effect because, you know, you're, you're toughening up and, and thickening all of the connective tissues, you know, your jo- everything in your joints, tendons, ligaments, all the cartilage, you're building up those joints so that they can handle more impact. And that is a powerful way to stay healthy as a runner, because, you know, that's the number one reason why we get healthy. There's too much impact force over a certain period of time. There's too much work and strength training, particularly weightlifting in the gym allows us to handle more stress. It allows us to handle more impact. It also allows us to make more mistakes with our training. So let's say your coach wants you to run 60 miles a week, Sarah, and you ran 70 this week, and you're not quite ready for that. Well, if you've been in the gym strength training regularly, you probably will escape that training error unscathed. You'll probably be just fine. Or, you know, you go out for a 12 mile long run and you get lost. You end up running 16 miles before you are ready to run 16 miles. Strength training just allows you to make those kinds of mistakes in your training and not necessarily get hurt at all or have the same level of injury from it. So lots of great things to like about strength training. And ideally you would be doing both, you know, you'd be doing the, the more therapeutic body weight oriented stuff. Um, and you'd be getting in the gym a couple days a week to do the heavier weightlifting because you're attacking the problem from a couple different ways. You know, you're, you're doing some isolation work. You're doing some compound heavier weightlifting movements. They all have value as long as you're doing them strategically. And I think the runner who is going to prevent the most injuries is the runner who's being really diligent about the body weight work and the heavier weightlifting. Yeah, that's, that's really important the way that you frame that, because one lesson that I've taken away from the combination of running and strength training is that you cannot ignore a feeling. And what I mean by that is if you feel a pain or an issue, I think our nature is to want to find a way for it to stop and hope that it stays away. And also, if we feel something, we feel like the last thing that we need to do is go into the gym and train for strength and to strengthen that area because that transition of, well, it hurts right now, but what if I do something that then injures it? So can we kind of address that where if you are feeling a pain and right now it's just something that is aching a little bit beyond soreness maybe it's something that you fear could turn into an injury what can we do to address that with strength training so that and and can we do that i guess would be my question is if you're feeling something coming on is strength training something that can then combat the presence of an injury within a training cycle as a runner i love this question um 
I think, yes, the answer is ultimately yes, that strength training is going to be helpful in the initial stages of an injury, most likely, and is probably going to help the healing process. I always think that, you know, rest is not treatment. So if you're dealing with any injury, very few times is a physical therapist going to say, just sit on your butt on the couch because rest is not effective treatment for almost any injury, maybe with a stress fracture where, you know, you basically just have to let the bone heal. And then sitting on the couch with a bag of Cheetos is a great idea because you shouldn't be doing anything difficult. Now, if you have any other injury, like the running injuries, the specific running injuries that we talked about before, strength training is going to be one of the strategies employed by a physical therapist if you go into a PT's office. So we should never think that strength training is going to make something worse. Now it could, if you're doing something that's very challenging, if you're loading up weight, you know, if you strained your quad, let's not get into the gym and try a one rep max for your squat. You know, let's use a little bit of common sense here, but generally speaking, active recovery is better than passive recovery. That means movement is better than no movement. And so even broader than strength training, I just want to see the athlete do something to help with recovery, even if it's not strength training. It could be cycling, it could be pool running, it could be the elliptical, or it could be strength training. Let's get the body moving through a slightly different range of motion. Let's get the blood pumping. You know, that blood flow can be very healing to, to many injuries, especially if it's a tendon injury, which you know, it doesn't get a lot of blood flow. And that's one of the reasons why they take longer to heal. So getting as much blood flow to your, uh, to your joints and muscles when you're injured in a way that doesn't have any pain or discomfort is one of the best ways to kind of spur that recovery process along. And, you know, I, I don't know if I can advise specific weightlifting movements or workouts or anything like that, but I would just say, you know, let's generally speaking, try to get strong in the gym. And, and even if you are dealing with a little bit of a niggle, we can still do that. We can still get in the gym, do our regular planned workout. Maybe we add a couple specific exercises to deal with the problem that we're experiencing. So if it's a hip issue, maybe we do our normal workout, but then we add a couple exercises to focus on the hips later on after the workout. And as long as you're not experiencing any additional pain or discomfort from that strength work, or from any of the other cross training that we discussed is probably a good idea to do that because any activity in my view is better than no activity at all. I absolutely love that. Yeah. I've, I've come to, to group my training into two pieces and the first one, and this can be for running and strength training. I've found that there's one type of training as a runner, you can consider it an easy run day where you just want to enjoy it. You want to feel good. You want to keep your easy run easy. And this is the type of day. And this translates to the gym as well, where I just want to walk out of that workout feeling better than I did when I went in. So for strength training purposes, I know that if I'm deep into a training cycle for a race and my mileage is high, the majority of my strength training days I want to walk out of the gym feeling better than I did when I was walking into the gym. That can be from an energy standpoint. That can be from 
just feeling like a pain that I may have had went away from that type of movement. And then there's the other day where you can kind of consider it a day where you have a a speed workout or a long run where you know you're going to feel tired and maybe a little bit beat up after that workout. And this is really where like the growth equation comes in that that idea of stress plus rest equals growth. You do have to have the stress. We can't hide from the training stress that's necessary. And I think it's important to emphasize that the stress that can result from strength training when we're focusing on increasing power output, that is important and valuable for runners. And just being able to identify with experience which days need to have you walking out feeling better than when you walked in, and then which days you can kind of turn that knob of stress a little bit more and make sure that the benefit that you're getting is from a heavier training load. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm not sure if I have a real good formula for you, but you know, generally speaking, you're, first of all, you're totally right. Like there are some days where you kind of just want to go through the motions. You know, you're going to do your workout the way that it's planned, but the goal is almost to make it feel as easy as possible. You know, when I when I was really training and trying for performance, you know, my goal, even though I was averaging 12 plus miles a day, I wanted to run most of that and and make it feel as easy as possible, even though I had some pace goals and things like that. So it's getting to the point where you know that, hey, today, today's my vacation day. I'm just doing an easy hour or an easy 45 minutes, whatever it happens to be. And you're exactly right. You should be leaving those workouts feeling better than you went into it. And you probably know this from being a beginner runner or a beginner weightlifter. It's like every run or weightlifting workout, you know, has to be like a race or it has to be a brutally hard training session. And I think the more advanced you get, the better you are at actually making most of your training relatively easy. So in terms of how to know when to push and when to dial things back, you know, from a running perspective, you certainly want to be focusing on pacing when it comes to your workouts, you know, appropriate pacing. That doesn't mean turning every workout into a race and then your long run. I would say those are the two most important workouts of the week for endurance runners. Um, the long run is essentially a glorified easy run. You know, it's still done at the same normal easy pace. It's just dramatically longer. And sometimes you can put in some interesting things into the long run, like some goal marathon pace running or a fartlek or a series of hills. You know, it's typically an easy workout embedded in a very long, long run. And I think it's also important to differentiate between types of stress. A track workout that's really hard is an acute stress. Like that is, that's a hard day. You're probably going to be sore. You are going to be tired. You know, it's fatiguing from a lot of different perspectives, metabolically, energetically, and from a muscular perspective too. Weightlifting is challenging, but more from a muscular perspective, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, um, burn the same number of calories lifting for 45 to 60 minutes that you are doing a, a 20 mile long run. So you probably don't have the same lingering fatigue. And one of the challenging aspects of running is that you need to do a lot of easy running and it's not necessarily hard on the day, but in aggregate, it's a pretty big stress. So Sarah's running 60 miles a week. To most people, that's a a lot of mileage. That's a big stress, even though 
you know, Sarah, you could do all of your your runs at an easy effort. And it's just not that hard, but it's the long-term stress of high mileage that is, is going to make you into a sub three marathoner. It's not the workout you do next week. I know I'm pandering to you a little That's bit. The just goal. To... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And it, like, it's that long-term stress. It's not being a hero on one workout day, like next March. It's you running 60 to 70 miles a week, most training weeks during the year. And then two years from now, you're going to run a 258. That could happen. And, and it's not because of the workout. So I think I went off track a little bit there with that answer, but, uh, you know, ultimately runners, I think need to be focusing more on manageable stress throughout the week and not trying to be a hero in any given run or workout, because that's where the injuries come from. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, easy days, easy, hard days, hard, such a great mindset going into something like a high mileage training cycle. So you can set yourself up for success to stay healthy. Now for the athletes who don't necessarily have access to a gym and maybe they're doing a lot of their stretching and mobility work at home, what are the top, you know, um, recovery tools and strength training, like strength training, um, equipment that you would recommend to athletes if they're going to be doing this at home. The good news is that you can outfit a small home gym for really cheap these days. And you don't need a lot of equipment. You know, you might want to get a, a yoga mat so that you're not sweating all over the floor. That's probably step number one. Step number two is to get something that adds a little bit of resistance to movements you're already doing. So I like to see either a bunch of resistance bands. So things that you can put around your ankles or your knees to add resistance to some of the exercises we actually already talked about, you know, that side lying leg raise great to do with a band around your ankles. Uh, you can also get something like a kettlebell that is pretty versatile. You know, you can get one and be able to add 10, 15, 20, maybe more pounds to a lot of common exercises. So you can add a little bit of weight to your squats, your deadlifts, your lunges, and then just start taking those exercises to the next level. So really basic stuff at the beginning, you know, you get a medicine ball instead of a, a kettlebell. Um, and if you were to have a couple different resistance bands, a couple different weights for a medicine ball or a, a kettlebell, you can pretty much do a full strength program just with that. You know, of course, it's not the same as getting into the gym. You know, I think having access to the quote unquote proper equipment is arguably the ideal scenario to be in to have that, you know, fully uh, stocked venue for you to do your training sessions. Just like a runner, you know, in a perfect world would have access to hills for workouts, would have access to a track for track workouts, you know, maybe softer surfaces for longer, long runs, things like that. So you can certainly be successful without those things, but you can get a couple things and, and be able to get 90% of the value there. I love it. And it's such great advice. I know a lot of times at the end of the day is when I fit in those mobility exercises and the strength training. And it's just nice sometimes to just stay at home and do it versus going back out to the gym. So having the setup, whether you have access to a gym or not, having that set up at home, you can watch TV, you can be 
talking to a friend on the phone, like try and make it fun too. So you get it in because it is a huge needle mover. How many times a week would you recommend an athlete, you know, participate in injury prevention exercises? I think after every run is a good time to do some of this work. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a 30 minute training session when you're finished with your run, but 10 minutes can go a very long way. You can get through, you know, six to 10 exercises in 10 minutes and that that's a full workout. And, and for a lot of runners, that's more strength training that they're currently doing. And it, Part of the value is in doing it frequently over time. So if you're weightlifting in the gym, you probably only want to do that twice a week as a runner, maybe three times a week if you're very advanced and you know what you're doing and how to manage your energy and things like that. But for the most part, you only want to lift heavy weights twice a week. But this body weight strength training is very different. It doesn't have the same strong stress that lifting a heavy barbell off the floor does. So you can do it more more consistently, you can do it more frequently. Um, it's almost like easy runs. You know, the value of an easy run is, is to do many of them throughout the week. Same thing with these easier strength workouts. We're going to do many of them throughout the week. Um, and 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes after each run is I think the gold standard. And this gets back to my sandwiching approach that I think we talked about in the last episode where let's do a dynamic warm up before we go running just to get the body metabolically ready that does include some strength training. So you're getting a little bit in there. And then after the run, 10 to 20 minutes can be body weight. You can add some resistance bands, a medicine ball, something like that. And then twice a week, we can get into the gym for that heavier weightlifting. And, and that can take the place of that 10 to 20 minute body weight session that we would normally be doing after our run. We can just replace that with a heavier weightlifting session. So it doesn't have to be uh, a lot of time, you know, 10 to 20 minutes after a run doesn't, it's not a huge time commitment, but doing it consistently, I think is a little bit challenging because it's, you know, whenever we get busy, it's the first thing that goes is that, you know, a bunch of hip swings after, after a run, you're like, I don't, do I really need that? <laughs> and then you skip it once and you say to yourself, well, I felt okay the next day. Maybe I don't need to do this, but again, it's the consistency over time. That's really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I have a confession to make because you, you did mention that I believe on episode 30, of the Elevate Your Running podcast. And since that episode, anytime I miss a body strength, you know, session, maybe it's five, 10 minutes, I always think back to what you said about how important it is and how the consistency really does matter. Um, so, you know, just building it into your schedule, if you, that means going straight to the gym after your run, or maybe you're doing it, maybe right now, maybe not right now because it's winter but going outside or doing it in a in a having a place in your home to be able to just quickly knock it out maybe you're drinking a cup of coffee while you're doing it too so um i'm as i say this to you i'm also saying it to myself as a reminder to keep on with the consistency but anyways just wanted to share that <laughs> well i'm glad i'm, I'm guilt tripping you over these last couple of months sarah <laughs> and you're right. I mean, one of my favorite things to do is to drag the yoga mat into the backyard, put on a podcast. You know, maybe it's a wonderful summer day. Uh, right. You know, you, you want to drink a coffee. I sort of want to have a beer. 
to each their own. And you sit there and you do your, your strength training session. And, you know, it's a wonderful uh, little cool down from your run and you're going to get stronger. You're going to feel better later on during the day. And uh, it's just so much better than sitting on your butt on the couch because your legs are going to tighten up and you're, you're not going to be feeling as good later on. A thousand percent. And if you can be consistent with it, just even over the course of a full week, chances are going into that second week, it'll be easier um, to make it happen. You're going to start to feel better on your runs too. And post runs, like you just mentioned, you might need to go like jump into work, sitting down for a while. You're going to notice that you're feeling better once you get up later in the day. So um, it does have its perks for sure. One question that I have, uh, Jason, Sarah just did a really good job. I was going to ask two questions. One of my questions that Sarah kind of just responded to was around, you know, how do you know you're feeling better from some of that resistance band work, right? Like it's not very gratis or it can often not feel gratifying enough to say, well, I'm staying resistant to injury because then our mind can quickly go to, uh, probably stay resistant to injury without this extra time that I'm putting in. So I think it's important to be able to understand that we do feel better. Maybe you you look for little ways that you feel stronger during your runs. And then how are you feeling? Are you feeling less achy after your runs? Looking for the gratification from some of those strength training movements that can feel insignificant but really they do have a big impact in your ability to run over an extended period of time and allow that training to compound into better, faster running. The question that I have is more geared towards that power-focused strength training. So you were mentioning for a runner who's really just dedicated to running, two days a week can be enough for them if they're looking to get in the gym and progress. I know this is something that we hit on in episode 30 a little bit as well, but what does that look like for someone who they're completely new to it, but they would like to up-level their running this year by getting into the gym? Maybe they're already doing that resistance band work pre and post run. So what is the best go-to for someone who is new to the gym? What can they do and where can they look for that that reward and gratification from that form of strength training. Yeah, I, I think for runners, as long as they're getting over that initial hump of not feeling comfortable in the weight room, you know, thinking that the gym bros are going to be upset with their short shorts, you know, rock those one inch split legs, you know, just embrace it, man. <laughs> and as long as they can get over that, I think one of the keys at the very beginning is just to make it easy so that you're not discouraged right from the beginning. So it can be really just like with running, it can be really easy in the gym to lift too much weight, to spend, you know, as a new weightlifter to spend too much time lifting weight so that you can barely walk the next day or your body is so sore that you have trouble completing the run, either the distance or the pacing that you're supposed to do. So I like to build the habit first. And I think this is really important with weightlifting for those runners who you know, it, it's almost a, uh, excuse the pun, a heavy lift to get them into the gym consistently. So let's just focus on a couple basic exercises. You know, let's learn how to squat. Let's learn how to deadlift. You know, we can do some other basic 
upper body exercises like the bench press or, or a standing press. I kind of like the standing press because as runners, we are standing doing our sport. And if we can just be consistent with, all right, I'm going to do three sets of 10, you know, we're not, we're not breaking any records or, you know, winning weightlifting trophies by, by reinventing the wheel. We don't need to do anything super fancy. Let's just do three sets of 10. Let's do a weight that we think is, is, is almost too easy. And it's a learning process. Let's see how we feel later that day. And then the next day, how does it impact our running? And then from there we can say, okay, I actually was lifting way too little weight. Let's add some weight next time. You know, it's almost like the first run you go on. Let's just run for 20 minutes, you know, 15 minutes. Let's just see how it impacts our bodies. And then we can start taking the next step. Once we have a little bit more data of how our body is doing, adjusting to this new stress. Um, and then in terms of like what to look for, you know, I would, I would give yourself a little bit of a longer time horizon because in the first week or two, you're probably not going to notice anything except additional soreness, which is actually not good for consistency because then you might feel discouraged. You might start, you know, thinking that this weightlifting thing isn't for you, but just think back to when you started running. I mean, I couldn't even finish a three mile run. And I felt like I had been run over by a truck. Like I could have easily given up after one run. So don't give up after one run, one week, or or even two weeks of lifting regularly. Once you've sort of gotten over that initial hump of, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to be consistent with it for a couple of weeks. I'm not going to do anything too crazy. Then from there, you'll probably start experiencing some of the benefits after the first couple of weeks where number one, you're just going to start to feel stronger. You're going to start to feel like your form is just a little bit more intact. You're going to feel more efficient. It's really hard to describe what that's like because it's very subjective, but most runners will start to feel efficiency and strength within, I would say, three to four weeks. And that's kind of the length of time it takes to start adapting to this new work. Um, and as long as you're taking that long-term perspective, staying consistent, three to four weeks is where you'll probably start to feel some of those benefits. And, and I think no matter if you're doing body weight, strength training or heavy weight lifting, we should probably think about short-term and long-term effects of what we're doing with our strength training. So the short-term effects are, you're probably just going to feel better on your runs. You know, you're just going to feel a little bit stronger. The last couple of miles of a long run, you just you know, you may not feel aerobically stronger, but the wheels aren't going to be falling off like they maybe were previously. So you're going to be able to maintain your form better when you're tired. You're going to feel better at the end of a long run. When you're doing a speed workout, you may actually feel that you feel pretty strong in the last one to two reps. Maybe you're now able to do a slight negative split in these workouts because of that extra strength, because you're able to hold your form together when you're really fatigued at the end of a workout. So those are some of the short-term effects. Those are much more easily identified, right? Like, hey, I finished that workout faster than I started. That is a, a direct on-the-day benefit of your strength training. Whereas you staying healthy for an entire season, you sort of have to keep the faith for the entire season to then get that benefit and really realize it. So some of the long-term benefits of strength training is hard. It's almost like long-term investing, right? Like it's so unsexy and nobody wants to talk about it. You know, you want to talk about the, the VC fund where you can get a thousand percent return on your money. And that's the, the fun thing that everyone likes to talk about. Whereas 
you know, with running, the fun things we like to talk about are the races, the workouts. It's not that, hey, I went to the gym consistently for six months. That's just not very exciting. But that's where the magic is. That's where all those long-term benefits lie. So if you are able to stay consistent, you'll find that, hey, you, you'll look back over the last couple seasons of your training, the last couple cycles, your goal races, and you, you might say to yourself, I actually haven't been hurt once. And if you're staying healthy and your performances are improving, then I would say, okay, this person's on the right track. This person is doing what they need to be doing. Their training is moving in the right direction. Like this is when we should be very excited about their training because they're on the right trajectory. Some of that is, is on the day, you know, you're going to get that valuable feedback from your training right away. And some of it's going to take months. So, uh, you know, I like to tell runners, let's be patient. Patience is going to help you stay healthy. It's also going to keep you on track again, pardon the pun. It'll keep you on track when you're training really well. Yeah. I mean, strength training has a lot of misconceptions around it. Two things that I know to be true from my years of strength training. Number one, you will not add muscle at a large and fast rate uh, from the outset or really at any point of the process. Uh, building muscle is just as hard as getting faster and running, maybe even a little bit harder. Um, so, you know, if that's a concern for people to not who don't want to go in and and focus on you know, a power movement and begin to add weight to their training, you will not just blow up and, and gain size. And the other thing is that soreness doesn't need to be a bad thing when it's structured in your programming at the right time. And the more that you strength train over time, like you were talking about, you know, the effects that you can see after a month of consistent strength training, you know, that soreness begins to diminish. And it's something that you begin to notice less and less. And that's also the same time when you begin to see the results. And we recently had Nell Rojas, who's an elite runner, uh, elite marathoner on the show. And we were discussing strength training. And I found it so interesting that a lot of what she was discussing with strength training were things that you can't see. You have to feel them. We got into strength training and hormonal health and just the ways that strength training can make you a better runner and the ways that she implements it in her professional training. So strength training for anybody, like if, if you want to up level your abilities as a runner this year, look into strength training in all of the ways that Jason's discussed today. Uh, Jason, there's a reason that we've had you on the podcast now for a second time and hopefully not the last. Thank you so, so much for the value that you provided both Sarah and I, and also for our listeners. Uh, this was a really fun one. And I've got two pages of notes next to me uh, from the information that you provided us with. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah. Injury prevention is, is definitely something I'm very passionate about because I had so many injuries myself during my own running career. And even though it's not sexy at all, you know, injury prevention is sort of dry and we want to talk about the more fun things when it comes to training. Injury prevention allows us to do what we actually love, which is running. It allows us to train hard. It allows us to stay consistent. And while there's no magic formula or secret sauce to running, I do like to say that 
if there is one, it's consistency and injury prevention allows for that. So building in a couple of these strategies that we talked about today is such a wonderful investment in your future health as a runner in your longevity in the sport that, you know, it's just so exciting to me because that means that we can maybe get more years of running out of ourselves. We can run faster. We can run more consistently, which means we can do more group runs together and, and more fun with our friends and more trail adventures when the weather is a little bit nicer, Sarah. So I'm definitely looking forward to staying healthy myself so that I can just do more running. Yeah, absolutely. Where can our audience, if they have not already, Jason, connect with you and all that you're doing with strength running? Yeah, um, the Strength Running Podcast is a great place to hear similar conversations on improving performance, staying healthy. You know, I interview a lot of the the support staff around the runner, if you will. So the PTs, the certified sports psychologists, the strength coaches, and all those people who sort of design the training around the runner. Uh, and then of course, strengthrunning.com is our home base and you can find our, uh, website with all the articles that we have. I think we have close to a thousand articles at this point. It's kind of crazy. And uh, our free email courses and all the training programs that we have. Uh, And I know we talked about running form a lot. If folks want to see the cues that I think are really helpful, uh, strengthrunning.com slash cues is a good resource for some of the more effective cues that I think are helpful for distance runners. Um, So yeah, thanks for having me guys. This was, this was always really fun and you guys always ask thought provoking questions. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, for our listeners, share this episode, help more people find Jason because the resources, you know, as, as a writer in in my occupation, Jason, I can respect how many articles and how many resources you have on your website and that you've put out over the years. You're doing a lot of really important work for runners who love running and just want to continue to do that over the course of their lives. So thank you very much for joining us. Sarah, where can our audience or any listeners to this podcast connect with you and the Elevate Your Running brand? Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, Sarah, runs happy and at Elevate Your Running. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to have you on um again for episode 53 and hopefully we can get that run in here um when the snow stops yeah well i think there's a group run in two weeks that i might be able to attend so yeah yeah, february 7th so i will (laughs) probably see you then okay great sounds awesome